Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 97 Nephilim and Chaosium. Before we crank up today's tour, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you for your kind words about the past couple of shows. I said when I recorded them that they were a little bit outside of our norm, and I was worried that they wouldn't be as well received as these deep dives we usually do, but you stepped up and put a smile on my face with your response. Don't worry, I don't plan on getting that personal or that deep again for a while. Well, with one exception, and that's because of the topic for episode 100. But it's gonna be a deep dive, I promise. It just also so happens to be a subject with a lot of personal memories for me, so there might be a bit of personal stuff in there as well. Anyway, I thank you for your support, and let's get on with a good old-fashioned deep dive, shall we? That means it's time to crank up the tour bus and get to this week's first topic. Nephilim was the brainchild of French designers Fabrice Lamde and Frédéric Wheel. I know I mispronounced those, I'm sorry. And it was originally released in French by Multiism in 1992. At the initial release, the game was hung on the frame of Chaosium's basic role-playing system, so it only went to reason that Chaosium would eventually get into the game as well. They released the English translation in 1994. For the record, Sam Shirley and Greg Stafford handled the designer duties for that version, with Kenneth Height contributing research and writings to the translation as well. Since that initial release, there have been four more. The second edition came out in 1996, and it didn't make a whole lot of changes other than to tighten up the rules a bit and further the meta plot from first edition. Third edition dropped in 2001. Titled Nephilim, La Revelation, this edition got way different as it dropped the Chaosium framework for a more descriptor-based system. What that means essentially is that rather than having numbers for attributes, words were used instead. It also brought the D20 system into the game. This version is also noted for the introduction of Archime, which we'll expand on shortly, as well as bringing in intuitive magic based on the style of Mage the Ascension. We covered that in another episode. I will note that the one major difference between the two styles is that La Revelation based the magic style on elements and words instead of spheres. While the change in system might have had a chance to break the game out big, the fact that it managed to piss off a large number of loyal gamers from the first two editions led to its ultimate demise, as well as the demise of the company responsible for it. Multiism went bankrupt in 2003, which came during what most European game fans, and certainly French game fans know, as the French role-playing game Crash. There were a ton of companies that went under, and for many of the same reasons so many American companies have gone under over the years. I think we're going to have to do an episode on game crashes in the future and detail how and why this happens, but that's for another show. The end of multiism put the rights for Nephilim in flux for several years, and there were many in the game industry who believed the game might be truly dead. That wasn't going to be the case, however. Ubik Edge Entertainment ultimately bought the rights to the game, and they started their relationship with the product by releasing an introductory scenario to 3rd edition in 2007 that was called Nephilim Initiation. Of course, we know that when a new company acquires a role-playing game, they're going to put out a new edition at some point, and this time was no different. 
They followed this up with the 20th anniversary edition of the game in 2012. The issues that plagued the game's third edition plagued this one as well, as it shifted gears to an even more radical system than third edition. Using a rating scale from 1 to 25 and using difficulty multipliers to determine percentages and... Yeah, look, the core book for this edition drew its inspiration from the first two editions of the game, which meant that the focus went back where it should have been, and that was the focus on the Philip. Much like third edition, though, fourth edition was a disappointment, and Ubik Edge ultimately let the license go, or let it lapse. My research isn't quite clear on that, and many of my sources say that the legality of anybody's claim to the license has been shaky at best since Multiism's bankruptcy. But never let it be said that gamers will let something like questionable licensing get in the way of getting their product out. Nemos, another French publisher, decided they wanted to get into the game and announced an Ulule crowdfunding campaign to make it happen. Needless to say, it was successful, and Nephilim Legende was released in 2019. Nemos decided to shake the bad juju loose from the previous two editions, and while they didn't return to the basic role-playing system from Chaosium, they did manage to simplify the system to the point that it didn't take a PhD in math to work it out. Their system uses a scale of 1 through 10, with that number being multiplied by 10 to get the percentage needed. The new edition updated the setting to the late 20-teens so that the game world was more in line with the modern world. Nemos then doubled down by updating some of the older materials from other companies and dropping them out on the market as well. The most notable of these would be the Golden Fleece campaign. So what became of Chaosium's involvement with the game? Well, after releasing the English translation, they produced several supplements for the game, but the difference is that theirs were all done in-house rather than translating those that had already been published. The issue that caused is that those playing the game with the English translations of the book were playing a much different game world and set of rules, to a point, than their French counterparts. It didn't last very long, though. After a few supplements were released, Horrific sales numbers led to Chaosium shutting down the line and getting out of the Nephilim business. So what's Nephilim all about? Well, how's about I read to you from the first two pages of the core rulebook? And by the way, that's regardless of edition. Are you ready? Page one reads like this. This game is not real. Yeah, that, that's all it says. It takes up the entire page. You want to hear page two? You are. That's it. Two pages, seven words, and one hell of a confusing way to figure out just what the hell the game's all about. Fortunately for you, I do my homework. So let's dive a bit deeper and see what this baby's really all about. Nephilim is based on the idea that since ancient times, there have been spirits without bodies who, if they're given the right circumstances, can take over the body of a human and run it until it dies, then find themselves another one. Lather, rinse, repeat. These folks are known as the Nephilim. Now, there are five different types of Nephilim, and of course, there are different species within each type, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Fire Nephilim, or Pyrim, tend to be the aggressive type. Earth Nephilim, or Ferim, tend to be the caretakers and healers. Air Nephilim, or Elom, tend to be the intellectuals. Water Nephilim, or Hydrim, tend to relate to change in movement. Moon Nephilim or Onirim tend to, 
Well, they're the secretive types who thrive on manipulation. I should also note that while I say tend with the five types, I need to add that the major arcana they follow will better solidify who they are and how they act. Thus the word tend. As I alluded to a moment ago, the goal of a Nephilim is to take over the body of a human. It then tries to gain all of the skills and knowledge that human has. In the meanwhile, they're also trying to avoid their enemies. We'll touch on those in a minute. Now, there are other types of immortal beings you can play in the game. There are Selenim, which are vampire-like creatures from the Dark Moon. Basically, they're an element created by an ancient race that is unstable, and it actually corrupts Nephilim. There are the Arkham. These are astrological mutants. They're highly unstable creatures. And that, among other reasons, is why most folks haven't touched them since 3rd edition, though they're still playable in the current edition. Now, what about those groups trying to stop the Nephilim? Well, they're human organizations, and they tend to be quite secretive. Now, I will admit that there are a few groups out there that are actually sympathetic to the cause of the Nephilim, but most of the groups are going to be out to stop them. The two largest groups going against our PCs would be the Knights Templar and the Rosicrucians. I don't think I need to expand on the Knights Templar, since they've been the antagonist of more than a few books and games over the years. Which is funny if you think about it, since the very things that make them the heroes of some stories make them the villains of others. Hmm. The Rosicutians are another group based in reality, as the Rosicutian movement took place throughout Europe in the 17th century. While you can look this group up on your own, the short form here is that everything Nephilim are goes against their beliefs, which makes them natural enemies. There is one other group I wanted to spotlight here, and that's the Order of the Black Star. They are the group with a ton of magical secrets. That being said, they don't have nearly the numbers of the other two groups, so they tend to not chase down the Nephilim as much as the others, though they won't hesitate to attack if they just happen to run into them. Now, insofar as setting, Nephilim can be set wherever and whenever you want. Ancient Egypt, modern Paris, you are only limited by your imagination. So let's wrap up this section of the show with a review. Andy Butcher reviewed Nephilim and the Nephilim Game Master's Companion for Arcane Magazine in 1992. He noted that GMs have a lot of work to do to prep the game, as the core rulebook didn't have much in the way of information about how to do it. The Game Master's Companion got a rating of 7 out of 10, and he said, quote, It's a handy book for any struggling Nephilim referee, although you can't help thinking that some of this material would have been better off in the main book. End quote. Let's move on to our second topic for the week. Chaosium, who we've mentioned on more than one occasion over the history of this program, is a tabletop role-playing game publisher founded by Greg Stafford in 1975. Over the years, the list of designers who've written for the company reads like a virtual who's who of the tabletop role-playing game world. Rob Heinsu, Catherine Kerr, Robin Laws, Steve Perrin, Sandy Peterson, Ken Rolston, Ken St. Andre, Jonathan Tweet, John Wick, and Lynn Willis are just a few of the names who've had their works published by Chaosium. Pretty big. So let's find out what Chaosium's all about. Now, as I mentioned, Greg Stafford founded Chaosium in 1975. Originally called THE Chaosium, Stafford got his inspiration for the name from his hometown. 
See, he lived in the San Francisco Bay Area near the Oakland Coliseum. So he took Coliseum, combined it with chaos, and got the name for his company. His reason for creating his own company was to publish his board game, which is originally called White Bear and Red Moon. You would know it better as Dragon Pass, and you'd know the setting even better, as it's one we've covered a time or two on this show. Glorantha. 1978 brought the role-playing game that put Chaosium on the map, RuneQuest. Steve Perrin designed it, though he set it in Stafford's Glorantha setting. The second edition dropped in 1980, and they published a ton of supplements over the next six years. 1980 brought the formal incorporation of the company as Chaosium, Inc. Also that year, Stafford linked up with Lynn Willis to boil the RuneQuest rules down to the 16-page basic role-playing rules, which were not only used by a number of Chaosium's future games, like 1982's Call of Cthulhu, but also games from other companies, like our other subject for today's show, Nephilim. In 1983, Chaosium and Avalon Hill formalized a licensing agreement so that the third edition of RuneQuest could be released. Avalon Hill handled manufacturing and marketing, while Chaosium kept control of the design and creation portions. Ken Rolston was the overall manager of the line at this point, with his title stated on more than one occasion as Rune-Zar. Though it should be noted he was a benevolent czar, just so we're clear. Chaosium was also a bit of a trailblazer in the TTRPG world, as one of the first games from a female lead designer came out of their shop when Hawkmoon, designed by Carrie Campbell Robson, released in 1986. That same year, Chaosium hooked up with West End Games to bring Ghostbusters to the market. Sandy Peterson, Lynn Willis, and Greg Stanford handled the design duties, and while we did cover this game in detail in a past episode, I did want to note that this was the first game out there to use the dice pool concept that's still prevalent in the game world today. It was so unique at that time that West End Games used it for the Star Wars role-playing game and ultimately for the D6 system, both of which we also covered in past shows. Let's go ahead and skip ahead a decade. In 1996, the gaming world lost its collective minds when it was reported that Chaosium had secured the rights to publish a collectible card game based on the seriously successful video game franchise Doom. However, that news turned out to be a bit premature as no official deal with Chaosium was ever made. Two years later, the hammer fell on Chaosium. Thanks to the financial disaster that was the collectible card game Mythos, Greg Stafford resigned as the president of the company and split with Sandy Peterson following him out the door. It needs to be noted, however, that they both remained a part of Chaosium as shareholders, and that comes back into play in a few minutes. However, when Stafford left, he took the rights to Glorantha with him, and as we discussed a few weeks back on the RuneQuest episode, he formed Isseries Incorporated to continue to produce the game line based on the setting. There's more to that story, but you can check out the RuneQuest episode in the archives if you want to hear about it. What happened next is something we've all seen a thousand times in the business world. Chaosium was split up into a number of successor companies with each company responsible for their own portion of the business. In the case of Chaosium, that meant one company for the TTRPG, one for the CCGs, one for the fiction novels, yada, 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 yada. When the dust from all the reorganization cleared, Charlie Crank stayed on as the president of Chaosium, while Lynn Willis was the editor-in-chief. 
Both were also part owners of the company, so one could argue that their taking the jobs was also an exercise in protecting their investment. Hey, no hate here, because I'd probably do the same damn thing if I was in their shoes. Call of Cthulhu became the primary focus of Chaosium at the time, and as I noted in that episode, Lynn Willis continued to oversee it until he retired from the company in 2008, though he still kept his finger on the pulse of the line until he ultimately passed away in 2013. Chaosium continued to chug along with Cthulhu until they hit the proverbial iceberg. When they ran their Kickstarter for the 7th edition in late 2014 and early 2015, they ran into a hitch in fulfilling the orders. There were a number of issues, many of which I detailed in the Cthulhu episode, but the result of these was that Greg Stafford and Sandy Peterson returned to the company to take the reins back in June of 2015. That move led to Charlie Crank making his departure, as one might expect. Stafford and Peterson made more news at Gen Con later in the year when they announced that Moon Design Publications, which Stafford had licensed the Glorantha line to back when he ran Isseries Inc., was now owned by Chaosium. That brought the four principals involved in Moon Design, Rick Mientz, Jeff Richard, Michael O'Brien, and Neil Robinson into the Chaosium family. In fact, those four were named as the new management team for Chaosium. The return of Stafford and Peterson also brought RuneQuest, HeroQuest, and the rest of the products related to Glorantha back under the Chaosium banner. Of course, Call of Cthulhu continued to be produced as well, so the hits just kept on coming back. I did want to take a moment to note that Stafford was the chairman of the board of Chaosium until he passed away in October of 2018, while Steve Perrin, the creator of RuneQuest, continued to do freelance work for Chaosium until he too passed in 2021. Sandy Peterson retired from the Chaosium board in 2019, though he continues to produce the occasional freelance project for the company. So, with the old guard on the way out, the new guard made a significant change. They decided they needed to do a significant financial reorganization of the company in order to remain solvent. Part of that reorganization was a relocation of the company's headquarters, which meant that after more than 35 years in the San Francisco Bay Area, Chaosium would have a new home. That home was Ann Arbor, Michigan, and that's where they're headquartered to this day. There was one other big change they made, and that was to change their distribution model to the concept of a fulfillment house. What that means is that rather than publish, store, and distribute the materials themselves, Chaosium utilizes other companies to handle storage and distribution. This significantly lowers the overhead costs and allows them to fill orders faster as they can use fulfillment houses around the world. Okay, enough business. Let's get back to history. With Stafford and Peterson's return along with the new blood entering the company, the Kickstarter for Call of Cthulhu got back on track and the deliveries for the core rewards finally got rolling in April of 2016. It should be noted that the new edition picked up nine of the 10 awards it was nominated for at the 2017 Ennies, including a silver for fans' choice for best publisher. With the company back on solid ground, it was time to start putting out new product, and this was accomplished through acquisitions, new licenses, and distribution deals. One of the first was the return of Greg Stafford's games King Arthur Pendragon and Prince Valiant, which returned to the company on December 11, 2018. 
On April 2nd, 2019, Chaosium picked up the rights to the 7th C product line, though it only included the 2nd edition and Katai Kickstarters. John Wick continued to work on the line and also brought with him the backstock of all the books that had been published to that point. November 30th of 2019 saw Chaosium announce they'd picked up the rights for a role-playing game based on Rivers of London, which is a series of urban fantasy novels from Ben Aronovich. In 2020, Chaosium got into producing the English translations for the Spanish fantasy game Aquilar and the French Ice Age role-playing game Worm. For the record, both of these translations had been kickstarted by Nocturnal Media. In February of 2021, Upwind was added to the list, having been kickstarted by Nocturnal and Biohazard Games. On August 20th, 2021, Chaosium announced that they'd acquired the rights to Cthulhu Britannica and World War Cthulhu, which Cubicle 7 had handled until 2017. And finally on our list, on October 26th, 2021, Moon Design announced that they were linking up with Black Monk Games out of Poland. They formed a new company, the Chaosium Group, to handle managing both entities. We've broken down most of the role-playing games Chaosium's been a part of over the years, but I also mentioned early in this deep dive that the company got into fiction books. That started in 1993, and while the majority of their books are based in some way, shape, or form around the Cthulhu mythos, other topics have been covered over the years. In fact, the first book released was Greg Staffer's fantasy work, King of Sartar, which was, no surprise, set in the world of Glorantha. 2015 saw the release of Casilda's Song, which is an anthology based on King in Yellow by Robert W. Chambers. It was written entirely by women and nominated for two 2016 World Fantasy Awards. In May of 2017, James Lauder, award-winning author and editor, was named as Chaosium's editor of fiction. He'd been a consultant for the company previous to that, so taking the permanent role was an easy choice. One final note I wanted to mention on Chaosium is that they're a part of the Bits and Mortar Alliance, and if you're curious about what that is, let me take a quick moment to break it down. Bits and Mortar is an online organization of publishers who make it a point to support brick and mortar game shops. It was established in July of 2010, and in addition to Chaosium, some of the companies that have been involved or are still involved are Arc Dream Publishing, Seller Games, Cubicle 7, Evil Hat Productions, Pelgrane Press, and Rogue Games. Now, we might cover this as a topic of its own in the future, so we're just going to leave it where it is for right now. And that means we've reached the end of today's tour. Next week is all about a deep dive of Earth Dawn. In the meanwhile, check out our other fine podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, we take our intrepid adventures through the next two jobs on their job board list, and they'll run into some new nemeses. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr is Bad GM Productions. Our email is badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week is Everdawn. I found it to be a very interesting game, so I hope you'll join us for the breakdown. 
But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're role-playing history.